Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the C Report. I am your host, Mr. C, and welcome, welcome, welcome. We're coming to you guys live on this Wednesday, or was it Tuesday? It's Tuesday, Tuesday, July 6th, 2001. And um, I hope you guys are having a great Wednesday. Or two. Why, why am I a day ahead? I'd like to know. Why am I a day ahead? Anyways, welcome to the Tuesday show, July 6th of the Sea Report. I'm your host, Mr. C. Yes, yes, yes. I think I got it right now. I think I'll be able to get that straight for the rest of the show, hopefully. Anyways, I hope everyone is having a great Tuesday evening, afternoon, daytime, morning, nighttime, wherever you might happen to be in the world today and checking us out. We are live on the Foxhole app, Twitch, and on Trovo. And uh, yes, we're having a great Tuesday here as the great old C Report myself anyhow. Uh, hello there, Tam Growl. Welcome to the C Report, the first one to pop on in. Uh-oh, see, Tam Growl, we used to have a couple of other first-timers here. Joy for Trump was always the first to hit it. If not, it was just V, so welcome to the fray. <laughs> Now, this is not a competition, but we are very, very grateful for your presence, ma'am. Anyways, I hope you're having a great Tuesday, everyone. Like I said, we are coming to you live on multiple platforms, and we're having a great day. Now, uh, we have a pretty good show for you guys today. We'll actually be cracking into race theory and the 1619 Project. It seems to be a topic for discussion uh, that's been happening around the old sea cooler uh, the past couple of days. So uh, I figured, why not now, while we have the time, kind of spill into it. Hey, Joy for Trump. Wait, Joy for Trump. Are you saying that the sexy voice is back? Is Barry Manilow returned to my vocal cords? Ah, oh, come on. Okay. All right. I thought it was working. I did everything I had to do. Yes, I got, I got messages coming in from my phone. I got messages coming in. <laughs> I got messages coming in from the Voxhole app. Okay. Let me fix that again. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. Watch out now because my uh, vocal cords are about to go back to prepubescent area. Bam. Okay. Y'all let me know how it sounds now. Yeah, I know it's going to sound better now. Okay. You just give me the five by five or whatever numbers you'd like to give me. Give me the A-OK. Was it A? A okay? I don't know. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> Hey, Texas gal, Tam Growl, it happens every now and then, Tam Growl, every now and then I go, I go into puberty on the air and uh, then I slip out of it again, so man, anyways, hey, Matt1776, or Matt17 underscore 76, thank you for gifting the can, I appreciate it, sir, well, we're back. <laughs> I got to the uh, thumbs up from Joyce for Trump, so uh, Mr. C is back to normal. Yeah, you know, uh, something, uh, maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a message about having to join the uh, witness protection program sometime soon or something like that. I don't know. Um, you know, I updated my drivers and all that stuff. So I guess my next step is going to be to call the tech guy and I have to just be like tech guy. You fixed it for me for three episodes. And after that, it just all went to Quacha. What is Quacha? That is an Indian word. No, just kidding. <laughs> I mean, actually, I don't know what 
the uh, origin of Quacha is, but you know, it sounds Indian to me, uh, but I know a bunch of Hispanics and Mexicans <laughs> that actually use that phrase. Yep, yes indeed. Hey, we're working through it though, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've got some uh, ACE equipment here, so uh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out in all due time. And then eventually, you know, unless you just prefer you know this, but anyways, it's all good. It's all good. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. So before we get into tonight's show, as is customary uh, form here at the Sea Report, we are going to do a chat recap from yesterday. So let's just get right into it. We had Joy for Trump in the house, Pilled by the Rabbit, Chatternuts, Just V, Sugar Plum Bumpkin, and Chatternuts gifting a cookie. Thank you so much. Weaponized Truth, Kiwi Crochet Girl. Uh, what was I saying yesterday? I think I was saying Kiwi Croquet. <laughs> Boy. Anyways, keeping busy in the house. So it's always great to have um, new uh, new chatters over at the Sea Report. I mean, that's not to say that they haven't been with the uh, show in for a minute in Lurk Mode, you know, but we have, we have uh, nothing against Lurk Mode, obviously. I think uh, uh, in spirit is just as good as in person in the chat. Did I say weaponized truth? Weaponized truth was in the house also yesterday. Just V gifted a can early on. Thank you so much, Just V, for the gold pill donation. D Patriot 1776 Methods was in the house gifting a can. Good evening, friend and friend to you. Good evening. Cheers indeed. Kansas Mudcat gifted a cookie. Peanut butter and chocolate chip was the order of the day. So, you know, if you are gifting a cookie and uh, it's a particular kind of cookie, uh, then just let me know and uh, yeah, I'll let you know. Popcorn 17 was in the house. Bruce Banner gifting a can as well as D Patriot 1776 donating that cookie jar. It was an anonymous cookie, ladies and gentlemen, an anonymous cookie. Henry 4570 in the house as well. Popcorn 17 saying, what are your feelings on Colonel West announcing his run for governor in Texas at Mr. C? Uh, can he get Trump's endorsement? If I could, I'd vote for him. Uh, well, as fate would have it, Popcorn 17, uh, President Trump has already endorsed uh, Governor Abbott. Does that mean that Mr. C will be voting for Governor Abbott? Not necessarily. Not necessarily indeed. Uh, at this point, we have uh, uh, Colonel West. Um, was it um, uh, Duff, Duffines? Uh, was it Greg? Henry? Don? Something. Duffines. He is also... Uh, clear, clearly, I'm not voting for that guy. I can't even remember his name. Actually, he looks kind of creepy. I get kind of the uh, gitchy feeling from that Duffines guy. Let me see if I can't track down his first name. But, you know, the other person that is um, running for governor in the state of Texas is none other than uh, it's Don Huffines, not even Greg Duffines. Okay, Don Huffines or Huffines. He's the other dude running for governor in the state of Texas. But the other person, the third wheel at the moment, who is also running for the position of governor in the state of Texas is none other than all right, all right, all right himself, Mr. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, right, Matt. Uh, you definitely got my vote right. Um, I probably would never vote for that idiot. And uh, Don Huffines, like I said, he looks kind of creepy. Um, and, uh, but you know, uh, he does have a good story to tell against Greg Abbott. 
that was the uh, that was brought to our attention in regards to uh, how Greg Abbott has accepted a lot of money from um, uh, you know uh, big castration pharma right for children because uh, he was uh, supporting a gentleman over there in Texas. Why am I saying over there? Over here in Texas, uh, who was fighting for his child uh, because apparently this man's wife was hell bent on giving his child, a, uh, um, yeah, turning him into a girl. Okay, and uh, the husband didn't want it. The kid, of course, was was young. I think he was yeah, like, he was like south of ten years old, and so uh, that was definitely that is definitely a problem. Correct, uh, but Colonel West, of course, obviously. I've heard a lot of things about him. I know he's originally from Florida. I know he's what a, a retired colonel from that. He might be a lieutenant colonel, but he's retired. Uh, he joined Texas uh, apparently during the um, during the uh, what was it? What was that one thing that Texans went to? The Tea Party. He came over to Texas during the Tea Party fiasco, right? And uh, and then he became our uh, uh, GOP chairman which uh, in approximately five days, he will no longer be in that position because he has resigned. Um, you know, in regards to Colonel West versus Greg Abbott, um, I would, I, you know, I would go for Colonel West, but that's tentatively speaking um, only because, uh, well, you know, I would need to dig a little bit more into Colonel West and uh, the things that he has done or not done uh, as GOP chair in Texas, because I think that would be a track record most uh, close to determining where my vote would go. Uh, right now, um, Governor Abbott has strategically uh, put a lot of bills and uh, laws in order to uh, really build himself up, optically speaking. Now, I'm not taking away anything from Greg Abbott, because after all, Governor Abbott has done well for the state of Texas since he's been in office. However, like I said, there are still those questions that arise in regards to the bills that died. And I also understand that, you know, it's not he who sets uh, the importance of the bill, after all, it is the House and the Senate that needs to make sure that that gets to his desk. Um, but still, I would like to make sure that uh, some questions are answered. Tune in to the Lone Star News report on Sundays at 3 or 4 p.m. If you guys want to keep up with Texas news and see which way we're going, uh, we're still dig, dig, digging. You know, we've got our eyes on the governorship. Uh, we've got our eyes on the AG, uh, Attorney General position. We've got our eyes on the Senate positions right now at the Lone Star News show. So uh, join uh, me and the Texan on Sundays if you'd like to check out and see what we we are thinking. Uh, you know, because uh, it just depends, you know, because like I said, there's always a chance that a, a career politician like Governor Abbott, who has made great strides, especially particularly in the last three years or so in regards to America First and helping Texans. Uh, there are things that uh, that could signal that maybe he's trying to redeem himself from being a career politician. But at the same time, I can recognize that in accordance with Texas theater, pol politically speaking, um, a lot of the things that they are doing are positioned to ensure that he will be reelected much to the joy of many Texans. Um, but there are a lot of people whose eyes are awake 
you know, whose eyes are open, whose consciousness is awake, and they can see uh, that while he is talking a good game, there are a few things that seem to be slipping underneath uh, the current there, and uh, it could be it could be detrimental moving forward. We'll see. We'll see. Will he end up being like one of these uh, 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump? Well, I don't think Greg Abbott would go that far. But uh, there are certain things that are clinchers, certain things that are like, you know, certain things that are just uh, um, uh, they just basically uh, um, break the bank when it comes to making those decisions. But we shall see. We will definitely be keeping an eye on that as we move forward into 2022 and the Texas gubernatorial race and primary uh and now that's not mistaken we don't know what could happen between now and 2022 uh 2022 is very close but it is also still very far uh for example we still have um the uh um, election audits for 2020 what that are still going on the outcome of which we still don't know the outcome of which is still kind of like um it's still kind of like an area that we could not specifically make a call on because clearly the country has never been in this position where we are nigh on the verge of something happening due to election audits proving fraud. How are they going to handle it? Because after all, if they go ahead and decide to give the presidency over to Trump, uh, how, would that maintain everything that is in place for the states? Quite possibly, because after all, the down ballots were not affected like the uh, federal um, elect- uh, presidential ballot uh, on the ticket was. But at the same time, uh, you know, we also have this question of the quo warrantos that have been uh, um, going out in various states, though that is being kept under wraps. Now, if quo warrantos were to hit, and uh, by that I mean, for example, if they were to start, um, you know, auditing every state in the union and they found that there was indeed fraud in every state in the union, that could overturn everything. And actually, that's not even involving the quo warrantos. If we throw the quo warrantos into that, well, then guess what, my friends? That means everyone will be summarily dismissed that was elected after 2016 and will be replaced with the people that will approve. Well, so to speak. But uh, those are two factors that could uh, land on our laps before 2022. So I'm not going to count all my eggs before they hatch. If you guys are not aware what a quo warranto is, I would suggest you definitely look it up. Q-U-A warranto, just the way that spounds on warranto. And uh, the main factor that would bring a quo warranto to the states of every, every legislative body in this union would be the fact that all of the electoral election voting machines were not, were not, I repeat, they were not certified after 2016, meaning that every election competition that took place after 2016 is rendered null and void, and we would have to return to the state of 2016 as far as the elections go, which would mean that ultimately the White House, the Senate, and the Congress would all go to Republicans if that were to happen. Would you like to see that happen? Then perhaps you should look up a quo warranto in the state nearest you and find out what you could do to get that that done because it is a proven fact that the election assistance commission did not did not did not certify a single election software or machine after 2016 again 
rendering the elections of 2018 and 2020 null and void, and thus complicating things for the deep state. They thought they were going to get away with it. They were like, we're not going to give any funding. We're not going to give any staffing to EAC, and everything's going to go the way of the globalist deep state black hats, because after all, we are going to cheat more than we've ever cheated before in 2020, and they did. But uh, I don't think it would be such a bad thing if, uh, you know, the United States of America returned to a Republican-run House, Congress, uh, Senate, and White House uh, 2016. Because, again, 2018 is when the Senate went over to the Democrats. That is definitely something to look about. Uh, Quo Warranto, Q-U-O-W-A-R-R-A-N-T-O. Look it up today and get along with your buddies and anyone who's interested in saving this country and see what you can do about it. I think I think the hardest thing about a Quo Warranto besides filing the paper and making sure that all your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed is finding those individuals who have um, the brave, the, cur- the courage to fill the position at least until um, a politician or, you know, whomever uh, is elected to take that position. Very interesting indeed. The Patriot 1776 says Alan West is awesome, but Trump is most likely to endorse Abbott. And indeed, he, also, he has already endorsed Abbott by about two or three weeks. Uh, uh, President Trump did endorse Governor Abbott. Um, let's see. Uh, Dpatriot1776 in conversation with Busy, Keeping Busy. Did I say hello to Keeping Busy? Yes, I sure did. Uh, says uh, that uh, uh, if you want to talk about scary teeth, check out New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. <laughs> Excuse me. That was in reference to uh, Steve Pichenik, I believe. Uh, uh, busy B had said that Keeping Busy, not Busy B, Keeping Busy had said that Steve Pichenik had scary teeth. Uh, you know, I've never looked at Governor Phil Murphy's teeth, Dpatriot1776, uh, but I will take a pass on that. Just V says, we have to fix 2020. Nothing after that will count if we don't. And that is a statement that I can stand behind 100%. Um, I've often said, you know, that when it comes to, uh, you know, because people were saying, um, people were saying after the whole debacle and coup that happened in 2020, uh, aside from people who fell off and just lost hope, and gave up on everything the world and themselves and other patriots. Uh, We had people um, who were going 2024, 2024, like right out the door. And uh, exactly what I was thinking is if we don't fix 2020, we will not have a secure election in 2024. There can be no 2024 unless we fixed 2020. And we are right in the midst of that. We're halfway through 2021. So I think we still have enough time. Who knows? Maybe by 2023, they'll have put President Trump back in office and then he'll get elected for another uh, four years. And then, you know, he'll serve a five year term or maybe he'll get back in 2022. You know, maybe he's been running a shadow government underneath all these guys since 2020. Maybe that's 12 years of Trump and we just did not see four. I don't know. These are all optimistic trajectories, but I think I will keep myself in that neighborhood because I feel a lot better in that camp. Um, Let's see what else we had here. Popcorn17 says, I don't think Flynn or Pompeo would run against Trump. And I agree. Um, You know, uh, Mike Pompeo has been touted as uh, possibly running for president in 2024. And uh, I I believe a lot of people have said that. And by people, I mean, of course, like any news outlets, including independent patriot media, has kind of signaled that Pompeo might run in 2024. We don't know for sure. 
that he'll do that. But we will be hearing from a former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, a little bit later on in today's show. So uh, stay tuned for that. 123SKG gifted some shades, gold pill shades. Thank you so much. Keeping Busy says, stone was hard to make heads or tails of. You know, and then uh, let's see here. Dpatriot1776 says, stone says some odd things at times. You know, and it's true. Stone knows how to use words as a political advisor for what, since the time of Reagan? Uh, he definitely knows how to use his words, especially in political speech. Um, like I said, though, having watched Stone uh, resurface on Alex Jones's program, like what, back in 2016, 2015, um, I, I, I mean, I kind of get a, a hint at, at his inflections and stuff. And, you know, I could be perfectly wrong. You know, we're human. Sometimes we're wrong. But I also trust my gut. And uh, quite generally, when people trust their gut, that inner voice, their sixth sense, you know, their uh, that gitchy feeling or that spidey sense, they don't go wrong. You know, they don't go wrong. Uh, uh, if you listen to your voice and you know what energy feels like, you kind of get the sense of what's going on. And uh, something's going on with Roger Stone. I'm just going to say you heard that here on the Sea Report. Something's up with Roger Stone. Something is definitely up with him. Texas gal was in the house and she's in the house again tonight. Uh, we also had shepherding shepherd in the house. He says Flynn knew him. I believe he's speaking in regards to Alex Jones and he was shunned by Flynn and canceled by Flynn. Uh, for some reason, I kind of get that vibe. Like I do remember Jones speaking about meeting up with him. I just, you know, I, I mean, it was a while ago, but I do remember getting the sense that it was not a great meeting or at least not the kind of meeting that Alex Jones would have expected being that he's touted as, you know, this crazy uh, freedom loving patriotic American that he's not. The speak of easy was in the house. Foxy lady was in the house. Shepherding Shepherd said, AJ told General Flynn, we're going to win. You know that. And General Flynn gave him the no stare. That's something I kind of do remember. <laughs> it was something very anticlimactic, right? Like, you know, uh, AJ's getting fired up over here and Flynn's just kind of like, yeah, <laughs> like I'm not responding. So this way you can go and spin some stories out of my response. Could be the case. Could be the case, Shepherding Shepherd. Service Dog Mom and Dragon Energy 45 were also in the house. Joy for Trump says that Dpatriot1776, I've heard it's actor. Uh, James Wood was mentioned. Oh, so James Wood hopped into the chat <laughs> uh, yesterday. Uh, we're talking about James Wood here. Uh, Just Be says, I don't think James Wood would do that since he's conservative, but I don't know. Uh, oh, are we talking about, we're talking about Biden here, aren't we? We're talking about Biden. And uh, they think that uh, Biden is uh, actually James Wood in disguise. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, and then 123SKG says, I miss James Wood. I used to read his posts on Twitter. Okay, guys, I don't think, I, I could be wrong again. I don't think James Wood would, um, you know, uh, um, uh, play the uh, clone of uh, President-select Joe Biden. However, however, and guys, guys, don't hate me for this. Hate is a strong word, right? You can tell him if you want. I mean, I've never spoken to the man, but you know the guy over on Truth and Art TV uh, here on the Foxhole app? 
I would kind of joke that that was James Wood with prosthetics on or something like that. He looks like James Wood, just, you know, with prosthetics or something. <laughs> but if James Wood had a show, if James Wood were to go undercover to do like um, a freedom or a patriot style type of ep- a show or program, it would be truth and art TV. Okay. <laughs> Okay, guys, don't kill me. I have nothing against the man. He puts on a really good show. I've seen a couple of episodes. I saw him over at the Patriot Roundup. So clearly, you people who are at the Patriot Roundup in Dallas, Texas, know that that is not James Woods. But I used to think that when I first saw him, because I'd never seen him until I saw him on the Foxhole app. Anyways, okay, he looks like James Woods. I mean, what can I say? That's a compliment. I would take it as a compliment. Anyways, okay, let me see what else we got here. Uh <laughs> Uh, from far away was in the house just v all i can you imagine california having to decertify 55 electoral college votes woohoo you know and that's something that could happen if we get those quo warrantos going on ladies and gentlemen but at the same time i think we might have also been talking about putin and how he did that as well uh in his parliament slash uh, congress or whatever they call it over there in russia he got rid of them all he was like, you guys are all Russian. A- I mean, Russian assets. He, I'm starting to sound like Hillary Clinton. He was like, you guys are all globalist assets, deep state assets. You're done. You're done. You're gone. That's it. It's over. Looking up was in the house. Liz Garcia was in the house. We had 17 angels gifting a can of gold pills, as well as one, two, three, gift, uh, SKG gifting gold pill uh, cookies. Oh, I got that backwards. It was a gold pill cookie from 17 angels and a can of gold pills from one, two, three, SKG. Love Warns was in the house. Posse for Hope. Blonde Blue Lady Q with the gold pill cookie. Posse for Hope with the gold pill cookie. And Blonde Blue Lady Q with the gold pill can or can full of gold pills. And last but not least, we also had... Red beer in their house. Ladies and gentlemen, that might have been the shortest chat recap that I've ever gone through here at the Sea Report. Let's see who's in-house today so we can give them a hello. Tam Grell, Joy for Trump, Texas Gal, Matt1776, again with uh, the can of gold pills. We also have Babs the Ice Queen, howdy ho. How are you doing, neighborino? We're going to talk a little bit about, well, we talked a little bit about Virginia last night. And uh, Virginia kind of seeps in there a little bit again today. But, you know, it's nothing too heady. Uh, it's just something that you have to take care of in your own state, right? Always in Texas is in the house. How are you doing? Always in Texas. Looking up as well as uh, Just V. Hey, Just V. Welcome, welcome. And 123SKG, thank you so much for the can of gold pills. Um, a Barbobot. Just making sure I read that right. A Barbobot is also in the house. Welcome, A Barbobot. It's been a minute since I've seen you in the chat, but welcome back as always. You're always welcome to stay and party with the rest of us. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that actually does it for yesterday's chat recap. I'm glad you guys are joining us. I guess before we get into the show, let me do this again. Let me do a little bit of more shameless plugging, right? So I can get better on this. I have to practice, right? Uh, so let's see, what do we got here today? Um, if you all are interested in hearing the C report by means of uh, earphones or whatever it is that you do, uh, earphones, right? How old is that? It's so retro. Um, we have the C report available on podcast. Uh, that's, you know, for those of you people who cannot, uh, have your face glued to the screen all like me, I'm kind of like that. Like, uh, uh, I can't always be looking at a screen. It's nothing against the screen or the content on the screen, but sometimes I get busy doing things and uh you know it's always sometimes it's nice to have something playing in the background right so so that's what i'll do that's what i'll do 
But, you know, aside from that, um, anchor.fm slash the C report. So you can keep up with, up to all the C reports in audio form. And uh, also you can subscribe to any platform that you prefer to listen to your podcasts on. Now, subscribe does not denote any type of monetary donation. I would never do that to you guys. All my content is free. So uh, when I say subscribe, I mean, if you have like Spotify, if you have, uh, you know, a Breaker, if you have uh, a Stitcher, if you have uh, Blueberry, if you have Himalaya, if you have uh, Google iPodcasts or, or you know, the uh, podcasts that are available through Android um, or Go Ogle, uh, you can subscribe to the C-Report there. And of course, per your usual podcasting uh, player station platform, they will notify you when new episodes come out. Now, we are up to date all the way up to episode 112 on the C-Report as far as that goes. So you can definitely check those out there. Uh, I will make haste to uh, make uh, tonight's uh, episode available for any of those uh, who'd like to listen. And, you know, share, 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 share alike. If you enjoy the content that I bring you here on the Sea Report and you think it's worth someone else listening to, uh, then uh, give them the gift of a share. <laughs> give them a gift of the share of the Sea Report and uh, get that info out there. And uh, that way we'll all be happy and on the same page. But yeah, that's anchor.fm. That's the home place for the platform of uh, podcasting for the C Report. Anchor.fm slash the C Report. Uh, you know, the Speak Uneasy is also over on anchor.fm in case you didn't know. Hey, Speak Uneasy, I saw you come into the room there, sir. Uh, so make sure you guys check it out and uh, check check me and the Speak Uneasy out. You know, subscribe to us on whatever platform you'd like. That way you never miss an episode. Besides, I think he, he has more content on his anchor.fm uh, than he does on his foxhole. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken or if I am, uh, pop that over there into the chat, Mr. Speak Uneasy, so this way everyone can get the truth, truthful information, right? The right information is the best kind of information. I just do my best to deliver it. Also, ladies and gentlemen, let's see here. Uh, where did I go? Okay, yes. You can also subscribe to my Rumble. That's uh, rumble.com slash C slash the C report. And uh, when you do that, you will eventually get to see the episodes of the C report that I have available I have every intention of uploading every single episode of the Sea Report. Now, I'm currently uploading some older podcasts that I did prior to the Sea Report. Uh, it's called Queer Voice, so don't get scared. Don't get scared. It's not about gay things or homosexuality by any means. It's just uh, it's just patriot news, MAGA news, current events, and things that were from the perspective of a Latino homosexual. Uh, it's nothing yet. It's, it's not like uh, we'll be we'll be. Uh, it's not like we'll be defining the colors of the LGBT flag by any means. Trust me. Um, but uh, we actually, I uploaded a new I uploaded a new video today. So that would have been, I think, the fifth or sixth episode of that podcast. Once I finish with all of those podcasts, I will start uploading all the C reports. I just need more time in the day, more days in the week, more months in the year, and maybe a personal assistant. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, I think that's all I got as far as that goes. Um, as far, oh, just in case some of y'all didn't know. Now, honestly, this is on my, my part. I need to get this information over to the mats and the pilled crew. My cash app address has changed. So if you're at Foxhole app and you click on the cash app uh, link, um, it's going to show you something totally different. 
Now, just so that you're aware, that address that's connected to pilled.net and foxhole, um, though that address will still send uh, any donations to my personal Cash App account. But uh, the new Cash App address is what's stated on the screen. So if anyone is interested um, or uh, is uh, has the desire to, then that is there for you. But I just thought I'd let you have that information just in case. That's housekeeping, ladies and gentlemen, housekeeping. And uh, it's important to do some housekeeping every now and then. Otherwise, your place gets pretty messy. You know what I mean? I think you know what I mean. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's see what we got over here. <laughs> Doreen Merck is in the house. Thank you for donating the can of gold pills, Doreen Merck. Much appreciated. And also a, a can of a refreshment from the Speak and Easy. Uh, you're most welcome, sir. We are brothers in arms and brothers in information. So most definitely anytime, my friend. Any, any time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the time has come for us to get in today's show, today's C-Report. All right, like we like to say here at the C-Report, Trump leads. All right, so let's see what President Trump has for us today. There were a few statements that came in, of course, a few statements, not a whole lot. I think actually I'm not sharing one. He has a lot of, in case you missed it, moments uh, that he's been sharing with his uh I'm going to say his constituents, the people of America, right? Well, the first uh, the first uh, statement that President Trump had for us today was election reform must happen in swing states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Arizona, where voter voters have lost confidence in their electoral process. The Secretary of State in Pennsylvania allowed 21,000 deceased registrants, dead people, to remain on the voter rolls for the 2020 presidential election. A total disgrace. Republicans in state legislatures must be smart, get tough, and pass real a real election reform in order to fight back against these radical left Democrats. If they don't, they'll steal it again in 2022 and further destroy our country. Uh, President Trump is definitely giving a signal here. He's definitely giving a signal. And I hope that there are Republicans who are currently in position to listen to him. Uh, they need to get tough. They need to be as tough as, you know, uh, Senator Wendy Rogers. They need to be as tough as uh, the Senate in Arizona, who's fighting to get this election audit passed and through and clear in spite of all of the opposition that they have faced. Now, when he's talking, you know, he used Pennsylvania as a good example because clearly uh, Secretary of Snakes Raffensperger, who's just simply trying to save his tuchus, right? That's the only reason why he cleared the voter rolls because he's trying to, just like Greg Abbott, he's trying to signal uh, now that re-election time is coming up that he's going to work for the people. And even though he's already screwed over the state of Georgia and the United States of America, he's going to fix it. Well, Raffensperger, you're a year too late because you were in office since 2019 and you waited until 2021 to do something about the dead people on your voter rolls. OK, now the reason why President Trump, I believe, used Pennsylvania as an example is because Pennsylvania was forced to clean out their voter rolls. When PILF, you guys remember who PILF is, the public interest uh, law um, um, firm over there in, uh, actually, I don't know where they're located. 
to be honest with you. Uh, but Pilf, Pilf went to uh, went to war, um, litigationally speaking, with the state of Pennsylvania, the public public interest uh, law firm, public interest law firm. Yeah, uh, I think that's what they're called. You know what, guys? I got it. I got it. You know, I got it's public interest. <laughs> You guys should be happy that I am making sure to check my stuff. Public Interest Legal Foundation. Wow. <laughs> I was off. Okay, Public Interest Le You know, and we've talked about PILF before. We told you guys about PILF back in March. We told you guys about PILF when they sent that letter of, um, yeah, that letter of, of assurity to uh, the Arizona Senate whenever, uh, you know, Biden's DOJ started threatening them, uh, saying that they were going to come into their state. And PILF was the one that let them know, you know, uh, they're wrong. They, uh, they have no legal standing and they're overreaching and they're bending the law in order to scare you. The Public Interest Legal Foundation. Okay, so the Public Interest Legal Foundation, back in January, February, March, we reported on it in March, they're the ones who took Pennsylvania to task over their voter rolls. Uh, because essentially, Kathy Bookvar, who was the then Secretary of Snakes over at the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, not only was she sending uh, the election uh, assistance people there information about how to qualify signatures for absentee ballots, which was totally illegal because they already had their own rules and laws in the books for their state and their counties on how to do that. She also did not clean out their voter rolls. So uh, PILF sued Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania settled. And they ended up cleaning out their voter rolls, as President Trump points out, 21,000, not 2,100, 21,000 dead people. So a uh, pretty good example there, President Trump, because uh, yes, indeed, Pennsylvania has already cleaned out their voter rolls, has Michigan, has Wisconsin, has Arizona, I'd say probably not, and Georgia did just a few weeks ago, but that's only because... Uh, Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of Snake for Georgia, is trying to save his tukus. We'll see how successful he is at that. I kind of don't think uh, it's going to work for you, Brad. Sorry to say, but it's probably just not going to happen. All right. Uh, and in case you missed it moment from President Trump, we have um, um, he's highlighting an article from Just the News. Now, if you guys recall... The Gateway Pundit and Just the News have been absolutely platinum. I would say actually, okay, the Gateway Pundit has been platinum on um, calling out election fraud and the 2020 election coup and staying in step with everything that's been happening, giving you the play-by-play -play for every freaking nosebleed, every freaking three-pointer, every freaking foul that has happened in regards. Did Mr. C just make a sports reference? Anyways, that has happened in regards to the 2020 election fraud uh, all around. I mean, they were reporting it since the hearings back in December, and they've stuck with it. And, you know, 
I wouldn't say that the Gateway Pundit is just giving you repeat articles. I wouldn't say that the Gateway Pundit is just talking about the same old thing over and over again. Gah, how cynical. No. In fact, every time the Gateway Pundit brings you information, they bring you new information. They bring you, uh, they bring you niche information. And yes, sometimes they do reprise some of their articles. But essentially, they are letting people know the play-by-play. -play, so that this way you guys know. So this way we know what is going on right now and you know uh, it's one thing to say the election was uh, stolen and then replay that same message over and over again but we need to know the details we need to know the in and outs we need to know every vein that this fraud goes into and it's only by their up to the date up to the minute reporting which then i can share with you all that we can figure that out because you're not going to win 2022, 2024, or even figure out 2021 if you cannot get your head around the different methods and means that they used. By they, I mean the deep state, the black hats, the globalists, to take over these elections. These details, though they may seem boring and repetitive to some people, are very important. And if people actually read the articles or listen to the reports like we do here at the Sea Report, then you would know that we're not just rehashing old news stories. We're telling you up-to-the-minute developments as they occur. And I appreciate the repeat offenders here at the Sea Report that can appreciate that and uh, they don't get too bored with it. Or maybe it's just my clownish self that they're amused with. I don't know. What am I talking about? Who knows? Okay, so uh, here we have just the news being mentioned in President Trump's um, um, uh, statements today, this in case you missed it moment. Please don't blame President Trump for telling you the same old story overs and overs again. Okay, it's better than sitting around talking about cutting your yard. All right, so just the news, it says, Wisconsin officials say Zuckerberg funded group seized control of the 2020 elections. Well, Mr. President, even though this article came out in 2020, I am not going to hold it against you. It's very important. In fact, we have also, and there's a reason why President Trump is highlighting the fact that Zuckerbucks funneled into all of these counties, into all of these municipalities, into almost every state during the 2020 election. Now, if you guys might remember, we talked about it, okay? And he's bringing Wisconsin up for a reason. Wisconsin is going to start coming under fire, ladies and gentlemen, because of the evidence that surmounted in that state alone. Now, in regards to Zuckerbucks, Zuckerberg and Facebook, and what was the name of that uh, foundation and organization, that uh, nonprofit that Zuckerberg uh, funded uh, to the tune of $350 million. Do you guys remember the name of that? Do y'all remember the name of the organization? Come on. I'm going to give you some time. Okay. It was the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Now, the Center for Tech and Civic Life is the organization that Zuckerbucks funneled $350 million into so that they could disperse throughout the country to help and assist the Democrats and progressives in the election process in the 2020 election cycle, right? So when we're talking about Wisconsin, and uh, I went back and read the article, and they actually did not talk about this point specifically, but it was through the Center for Tech and Civic Life that has a an um, has an umbrella. It's an umbrella organization for another five hundred one c three that is uh, that was called the National Vote at Home Institute. 
the National Vote at Home Institute, so funded by the Civic, uh, the Center for T Tech and Civic Life, so funded by the Zuckerbucks, right? Now, if you guys remember the shenanigans that took place during that, because we covered this here on the Sea Report, the shenanigans that took place with this National Vote at Home Institute and the Center for Tech and Civic Life was that uh, one of their cronies, one of their progressive Democrat cronies by the name of Michael Spitz Rubenstein, was embedded into the Wisconsin Five. You guys remember the Wisconsin Five? We have Wisconsin, Kenosha, Racine, Milwaukee, and Green Bay. Now, according to the municipalities of each of those cities, only the county county clerk is in charge of running each of those elections in each respective uh, municipality. But somehow, Mr. Michael Spitz Rubenstein of the National Vote at Home Institute, underneath the Center for Tech and Civic Life, who was given money by Zuckerbucks, you know, Zuckerberg, right? He was actually running those elections. And the mayors of the Wisconsin Five all met together, had a powwow, and decided to go ahead and let him do that. And took that responsibility away from their county clerk, which is against their city charter, which is against their state law, which means that that's fraud and that should not have occurred in Wisconsin. And now it's coming out and uh, President Trump's kind of shining the light. He's like, hey, you guys see this, right? They published it in just the news. <laughs> so there's that information, ladies and gentlemen. That's what that was all about. Uh, let's see. Another thing that he had going on in his ICYMI, in case you missed it moment, another article from just the news. Mystery. Did Stacey Abrams Financial Group fund temp agency that staffed Fulton County elections? Do you guys remember of the temp agency that Stacey Abrams owns? All right, here comes another pop quiz, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so the answer is Happy Faces. Okay, so Stacey Abrams owned Happy Faces, right? And she's the one who staffed not only the 2020 presidential elections, she staffs just about basically every agency in the government of Georgia. You live in Georgia, y'all should probably be doing something about this. I don't know. Yard work might be more important. Anyways, he also had a moment from the Hill. New Jersey postal worker admits to discarding 99 election ballots, nearly 2,000 pieces of the mail. Okay, and yes, we covered that also in our special election fraud episode. God, this was probably back in early April, right? Where we were talking about every single piece of election fraud, no matter how small or how large that happened, it happened, and in G indeed in New Jersey, this man was busted, and he was he was uh, he was charged with uh, um, with throwing away mail, and that included ballots because I guess I guess the uh, postal worker, at least this one, there were a few of them. Don't get me wrong, there were a few postal workers. It wasn't just this man. Uh, they decided they needed to become activists, and they needed to mess with the federal mail system, and they thought that they would be impervious to any type of ramifications. But clearly they were wrong. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that was, uh, there was another, there was another Trump ICYMI moment, I believe, but I didn't elect to cover it. But don't worry, guys, if it's important, we'll get back to it. It was, uh, it was a, uh, it was a transcript uh, from a gentleman that was just talking about how great President Trump is. But you know what? We here at the Sea Report know how great President Trump is, and so does all of our viewers. So I figured 
we could save some time. All right. Uh, one other uh, one other thing I wanted to um, mention in the sphere of President Trump was about this dude. Some of you guys might recognize that man. Some of you guys might not. I know I did not recognize him at first. Uh, but this is the man by the name of Max Miller. Max Miller. Max Miller, who was just endorsed by President Trump at his Ohio Wellington um, rally two Saturdays ago. Now, in regards to Max Miller, um, uh, the new, the big hubbub about this young man here, because he's probably younger than me, um, is that uh, he has actually raised five hundred and fifty thousand dollars in one quarter to challenge the Rhino in Ohio that he's running against. Do you guys know who that rhino is? <sighs> that rhino is some man named Anthony Gonzalez. Uh, we've talked about Anthony Gonzalez a little bit here at the Sea Report, but uh, the point being in uh, bringing Max Miller to the stage at the moment is that um, if you're seeking to run for office in 2022 or 2024, a Trump endorsement would go a long, long way. Um, $550,000 already in just one quarter. Uh, according to a Breitbart article, Donald Trump endorsed United States House candidate Max Miller. He's raised $550,000 in the second quarter in order to unseat Anthony Gonzalez. Now, let's not forget Anthony Gonzalez did, in fact, vote to impeach President Trump. And that was just the start of his trouble, Right. So he has over $1 million in the bank now while he heads towards the primaries to fight Anthony Gonzalez. Now, that's not to say that Anthony Gonzalez doesn't have just about as much money in his war chest when it comes to this. But that's a pretty good start for a freshman uh, freshman running up uh, to take that Senate place. Now, another interesting about Max Miller that I understand because I saw a couple of videos with him. Uh, they did a video with him um, during the Trump rally in Wellington, Ohio, and uh, uh, I don't know. He came. He kind of seemed kind of off to me, um, uh, you know. But you can. You never want to judge a cookie until it's done, right? Okay. So um, I was like, okay, we'll see what's up. But this this dude was actually a former Trump advisor. So uh, when it came down to it, there was also an interview with President Trump where they were talking about his choice to endorse Max Miller. And Trump said, you know, I know him. I've always got a good feeling from him. I worked with him for some time. So I could understand why President Trump would indeed endorse uh, this Max Miller fellow. Uh, hey, J. Bell, welcome to the show. And thank you for gifting the can of gold pills. It is quite refreshing, my friend. Okay, so let's see here. Let's talk a little bit more about this Max Miller. Like I said, he is over a million dollars going into the primaries. And uh, when he spoke with Breitbart uh, at that one interview during the Wellington, Ohio rally, he said to them that uh, the rhinos, the, the anti-Trump Republicans who are currently in Washington, D.C., that they need to be purged out of office. Now, I'm sure he's not calling for violence. Only liberals and leftards would believe that a purge means you can go kill someone, right? But uh, he did say that. He also said that he's running strictly on an America first platform because, as he says, when you have someone that votes with White House Speaker Nancy Pelosi 38% of the time, you have to get them out. 
And uh, right there, he was talking about Anthony Gonzalez. Uh, that's, I think, District 16 over there in Ohio. So he wants to get Anthony Gonzalez out. Anthony Gonzalez was what? He was, uh, he was a, um, uh, a football player. I guess he was a college football player over there. And then, you know, he got big-headed and decided to run for office, and he got elected. And then he went and impeached Donald Trump. What the heck, Anthony Gonzalez? Don't you know that's bad form, my friend? You can't go and turn your back on someone who gave you a hand. Terrible, terrible, naughty, naughty Anthony Gonzalez. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I got here a real quick interview of Max Miller. Oh, and wouldn't you know, I probably did not even, yeah, <laughs> did not even get rid of the freaking, hold on. Let me go ahead and turn off the, uh, Turn off the uh, ad over here because we don't do free advertising here at the C Report. We're completely listener, viewer, and people sponsored. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Google Fiber. You're not going to get a free ad out of me. All right. Let me go ahead and get that on the air for you guys real quick. Oh, yeah. I was starting at a certain place for a certain reason. All right. Sorry about the dead air, ladies and gentlemen. Let me go ahead and get that going for you. All right. Here comes, without further ado, a quick interview with Max Miller, just in case you don't know who he is. You can get a quick taste of what he's about. Yep, there's President Donald Trump, but we're not going to we're not going to listen to this because we've already played this interview here on the Sea Report. If you don't remember, well, there's always the replay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here's Max Miller on uh, OAN. Joining me now, the latest candidate to receive President Trump's coveted endorsement, congressional candidate for Ohio's 16th district, Max Miller. Max, how do you feel knowing you're the first person President Trump is getting back on the campaign trail for? I'm honored. And Natalie, thanks for having me back on. Uh, I'm honored and I'm humbled. And look, I expect a lot of energy because Ohioans are fired up for President Trump. You, you drive around, you walk around, there's Trump 2020 signs, there's Trump 2024 signs. We see it all over. But President Trump recognizes that the Ohio 16th Congressional District deserves a fighter for the America First agenda. And that's what he's going to get in me. And that's what you don't see in Anthony Gonzalez. And this is about the people. You know, the media keeps talking about how this is President Trump's revenge tour. But it really is Trump supporters who don't like Anthony Gonzalez, who don't like the rhinos out there that aren't listening to the American people that really are putting their own political interests and Democrats and the swamp first rather than them. But no, it's just more than the impeachment vote. Anthony Gonzalez definitely betrayed him when he voted to impeach President Trump. But many don't know that he also just voted to give amnesty to illegal immigrants. Once again, Congressman Gonzalez stabs the constituents of the 16th district in the back, and he doesn't represent their values, and he certainly doesn't represent their interests. And he's been doing this all along. What took so long for us to unearth some of these rhinos and never Trumpers? I know he was a big football star there. Do you think that kind of charisma, if you will, he doesn't really even have charisma, but I guess just because he was a star that people thought, oh, you know, we want a football player there? Yeah, look. Anthony ran on his name ID, and he was a great football player at Ohio State, but he failed miserably in the NFL, and now he's failing miserably in Congress. And that's what you see out of him. He, he's attracted to the limelight. 
He wants the attention. Well, now the attention is solely focused on him in a dogfight for this primary, and we're going to see an upended primary, and I will win come primary time next, uh, ne- I believe next May, as it's slated for right now. And people are excited. It's not even 2022 yet. But people want to get back on that campaign trail because they believe in this country and they're sick of rhinos. Even your governor there has been such a rhino all along. What are you hearing from the voters in terms of 2022? That grassroots effort that really won the state for President Trump in November. How big of a force is it right now? It's a huge voice. The Trump support, speaking in the state of Ohio, it's palpable. The tension on the ground. We miss the man because when you listen to President Donald J. Trump, even when you played those clips just before, what do you hear? You hear a common sense president of the United States. That's what we don't have in our congressman here and Anthony Gonzalez. But you also don't have that in President Biden. He's a common sense man who speaks to the masses in such a way that was able to push this country forward and really flourish over the past four years that he was president before Joe Biden and Kamala Harris seized control of the White House. How have you seen the rhinos come alongside Anthony Gonzalez there? Because we've seen Karl Rove is campaigning for certain people, the never Trumpers like Adam Kinzinger. You've got Paul Ryan on the campaign trail. How has his fundraising been as a rhino? Well, look, if you break down his last quarter numbers, $296,000 of what Congressman Gonzalez raised was corporate PAC money. And if you don't think that that corporate PAC money comes along with strings, as well as he had it from Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, Tom Rice, this guy isn't a conservative. He's a liberal by all means. So he can keep on saying, I voted with President Trump X percent of the time. But when it really matters and when the heat gets turned up, Apparently, he doesn't ignore the noise too well because he failed miserably and voted for a sham impeachment and just voted for amnesty. And these people, he's hoping the swamp is going to save him in this campaign. Well, let me tell you, the swamp can do their best to save him. But I have the people's president, Donald J. Trump, and I have the individual donors and the actual people. I haven't taken one single dollar from corporate PAC money. But Anthony, half of what he raised last quarter was corporate PAC money. So, I mean, it's right there. It's so sad because Ohio was so devastated by the opioid epidemic and we see the drug crisis on the southern border creating that crisis yet again and to think that he would vote. But again, he's always been voting against the people. Voting against President Trump is voting against the people. Max, we're all going to be watching tomorrow night. Again, congratulations on getting that endorsement because you know the power of a Trump endorsement. He has a hundred percent track record on this in the Senate and the only two that didn't last year ended up losing to more pro-Trump people. So you have a hundred percent chance of winning this thing. And we look forward to watching tomorrow night. And again, getting to see president Trump back on the campaign trail. God bless you. And we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Natalie. Thanks for having me. All right. So there's your Max Miller. <clears throat> uh, someone had made a comment there in uh <laughs> I think that was joy for Trump maybe said, yes, Max Miller seems nice, but they all seem nice. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like um, I saw another interview with him where he seemed kind of gitchy in this interview. I'd say maybe his mascara is on a little bit too thick, but you know, if president Trump trusts him and again, Trump has trusted a lot of people in the past, but we'll have to see how he plays it out because this is what it boils down to people. Unless you get that spidey sense tingle going on and saying, Nope, stay away. Virgin alert, virgin alert then uh, you take people at 100%. They tell you who they are, unless you know your spidey sense tells you otherwise. It's up to them to stay there. So Max Miller's going in as America first, Trump patriot, 
to represent the 16th district of Ohio, right? So let's hope he stays there. Let's hope he does a better job than Anthony Gonzalez did, who asked for Trump's support and then turned around and impeached him in the heart, right? So in regards to uh, this Anthony Gonzalez fellow, I'm going to go ahead and put his face on the screen. Watch out now. There's Anthony Gonzalez. Um, you... <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because I've ta I've I've talked about Anthony Gonzalez. Uh, I think it was on a separate show. It might have been it might have been on a Sea in the Dark or it, I don't know when I talked about him. Uh, I I I, don't, I I need to be nice. I need to be nice. Okay, I need to be nice. Okay. <laughs> so, anyways, this Anthony Gonzalez guy. Well, well, let's see what President Trump had to say about him. Right, President Trump says. A guy named Anthony Gonzalez is bad news. He's a grandstanding rhino, not respected in D.C., who voted for the unhinged, unconstitutional, illegal impeachment witch hunt. He's a sellout and a fake Republican and a disgrace to the state of Ohio. Those were President Trump's words. I don't need to say that he said, I don't need to say he looks like the guy from Goonies, right? Rocky Road. Anyways, okay. So uh, <laughs> this, uh, this guy, uh, this guy, Anthony Gonzalez, a high, an Ohio Republican, right? Uh, well, the, uh, the Republican Party censored him. They censored him for voting to impeach Trump earlier this year. Uh, the committee also asked that Gonzalez's re for Gonzalez's resignation. So they wanted him to resign in the state of Ohio. Of course, he has not resigned, but he is among one of 10 who have been voted to impeach Trump. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do it again because I've actually talked about this on the show before. I, I don't remember. I don't think it was a C report. It might have been like... Um, I don't know what it was. A sea in the dark. It, this was before sea in the dark. Some of you guys might remember this. Actually, if you guys have been with me on Foxhole app since the beginning, you might remember this story. That that was in regards to Anthony Gonzalez being a member of the Band of Brothers, right? The band. They should be called the Band Brothers, right? B A N N E D, not the Band of Brothers. They should be the Band Brothers but they call themselves the Band of Brothers. It is the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump, who uh, have grouped together in order to, you know, commiserate each other over all of the misery that they're experiencing for voting to impeach Trump. Because after all, they thought that they were taking a stand. They thought that they were doing something patriotic, like, you know, some of the shills that we get on some of these programs here that I run. And they'll, they'll go on about how great America is. And then they'll say... Uh, um, the real Republicans are the ones who are, are voting against Trump. Uh-oh, did I just get one in the, uh, <laughs> I think I just got one. Yeah, they'll say, they'll say the real Republicans are the ones that are against Trump. The real Republicans are the ones that voted to impeach him. Those are the real Republicans. Ah, get yourself out of here. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, so let, okay, let me tell you what this, these 10, these 10, uh, Republicans faced after they decided to impeach Trump. All right, now, uh, the, the misery loves company. So these guys would get together and they exchanged phone numbers to have text messages with each other so that they could talk about 
how frequently they get threatened and all of the nasty comments that they receive from their family, their friends, and other members of Congress and the Senate. <laughs> like, literally, these, these 10 Republicans who alienated themselves by turning their backs on America, right, had to come together in order to hold each other up and to make each other feel better and to share their war stories about how many attacks they're getting from their fellow uh, their fellow um, uh, politicians, but also their friends and their families. Like one of them even said, I think it might have been Anthony Gonzalez. He even said that they called him a POS because he decided to impeach Trump. Like, yeah, it's pretty funny. Uh, so the Band of Brothers, who are the Band of Brothers? Just as a quick reminder, who are the 10 Republicans that decided to impeach Trump and have since suffered the consequences? Anthony Gonzalez is quickly going to be one to go under uh, under the, the wheels here for what he did. Uh, Liz Cheney, we know, is another. Another one was uh, this dude. That's Adam Kissinger of Illinois. He also voted to impeach Trump. He is another member of the Band of Brothers. We also had this. Well, you all you all know who this one is. That's 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 uh, Dick Cheney's daughter. Uh, you know, Liz Cheney. Now, you know, like I always say, there are certain family names, Cheney, Bush, Clinton, that you just you know, you're not going to ever vote for again. You know that nothing in that bloodline could ever come out to help people. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Uh, let's see, who else do we have here? We have, oh, this guy, this guy, his name is uh, John Katko. He's of New York. This is another Republican who voted to impeach Trump, who will probably suffer the same consequences, Liz Cheney and Anthony Gonzalez. We also have this one, Fred Upton of Michigan, another Trump naysayer, supposed Republican, Republican in name only. Then there's this woman here, yeah, this woman is the name uh, Jamie Herrera Butler of Washington State. This idiot decided to vote against Trump. We also have this loser here, right? Another loser, Dan Newhouse, also of Washington State, decided to impeach Trump, right? Republican in name only. Let's not forget about this loser. This loser's name is Peter Meyer of Michigan. Peter Meyer of Michigan, he decided to, you know, impeach Trump. He thought that, that it would further his political career. And then there's this idiot, Tom Rice of South Carolina. Tom Rice of South Carolina thought that, hey, if I impeach Trump, maybe someday I'll be president. Yeah, what a loser. And finally, there's David Bellotto. David Bellotto of California also decided that it would be a better move for him in politics if he decided to impeach the only firebrand in the American presidency that we have seen in the last, what, few decades, right? So there you go. That's the band of losers, ladies and gentlemen. In case you were wondering what 10 individuals they are, that is them. And uh, yeah, let's get him off the screen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're moving away from Trump news now. Let's talk about Mike Pompeo, because I told you that we would. Now, Mike Pompeo, you know, he's former CIA. Some people say once CIA, never trust. Once CIA, always a black hat. Once CIA, uh, you can't, you know, whatever. Okay, well, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. I mean, I know, you know, Pompeo used to be head of the CIA, you know, and, and the CIA is a, a, a child sex trafficking organization. Uh, the CIA is the strong arm of the deep state. 
The CIA is the kinetic, violent arm of uh, the globalists within the agencies of America, right? But did this guy turn a leaf over? You guys know how much he uh, he went after China. You know the different things that he did as his time of Secretary of State. So in the spirit of forgiveness and humanity, I am willing to say maybe this man will turn a leaf over. And then maybe you'll see that not everyone who was once with the CIA or even a contractor to the CIA is bad people, right? Maybe they're whistleblowers. Maybe they're going to go ahead and redeem themselves for whatever sins that they have done. But I would have to look into Mike Pompeo and figure out what the heck he did in the CIA other than being the director. What went down under his time in the CIA? I have not explored that yet, but perhaps I should for the benefit of my audience and for my own personal knowledge. Um, but most recently, Mike Pompeo who's also being gossiped about possibly running for president in the year 2024 against President Trump. Um, you know, uh, he recently came out uh, talking about the 1619 Project and more specifically critical race theory. So it's about time we talked a little bit about critical race theory here on the C Report. Now, when it comes down to these things that are overtly uh, that overtly cover racism or the topics of racism, I, I kind of tend to shy away from them because I kind of feel like if you're putting all of your time, energy and effort on even covering stories about racism or, you know, things like that, that it only uh, prolongs the conversation and it makes it, it gives it more of a, I don't know, it gives it more um, clout. It gives it more, uh, uh, it gives it more tangibility within, you know, our own personal thinking and conscious spheres. So I'd rather not talk about it. I, I, I decided not to talk about critical race theory for the time being and how wrong it is and how stupid it is. And, and that even goes back to talking about how they were trying to get rid of all the statues. And they're still trying to do it, like try and take down, take away our history, take down the statues, how idiotic most of the children are coming out of the universities, even though they have paper that says that they're so smart, but they're being taught essentially nothing. And they have no life skills whatsoever by the time they graduate, unless they're in like, you know, uh, unless they're in like a field that uh, actually, you know, uh, has something to it, like engineering or, or being a doctor or something like that. But otherwise, you know, uh, uh, there's there's absolutely no value to what these uh, youngsters are learning nowadays in their universities and their hollowed hallways. Right. So I chose not to talk about these types of things for a minute because I feel it only validates their point of view. Right. It only validates the uh, the uh, existence of racism as being something that is, um, um, you know, deeply embedded and, uh, you know, um, uh, very proliferated throughout all of what we know in this world. Right. Well, there comes a time when you have to address it. And that specifically would be when they're trying to teach it and indoctrinate our youth in this type of thought process and in this mental pattern. Uh, I mean, it's basically a mental construct. It's a mental cage, you know, that traps people in this uh, world of, of, of uh, I don't know, uh, unaccountability. And by unaccountability, I mean, they don't take accountability for themselves. They don't take responsibility for themselves or their own lives or their actions because the white man made them do it. 
you know, essentially speaking. But, you know, that's what it is. I could say that because, um, you know, critical race theory is basically anti-white. I mean, it's probably one of the most racist things I've ever come to know that is trying to be taught in our schools. Now, we know for a fact that dozens of states have already taken their stance against teaching critical race theory in schools, public or otherwise, uh, colleges and universities, right? Um, we're actively taking our stance against it because obviously uh, critical race theory just, it roots down into divisiveness. It creates neo-racism, right? So this way, black people and people of color can feel good about being racists. And now the same cultures, and I'm talking about minority minorities, right? Black people and colored people. Now these people who, what, three or four decades ago, maybe more, were crying to share that waterline, were crying to sit at the same table that white people were sitting at, that were crying to use the same bathroom that white people were using, that were crying not to be treated as secondary citizens and, and you know, caste-wise. Now they are crying to be separated. They are crying to have white people go to their own bathrooms. And they are crying to have white people thrown out into the streets and taught like uh, treated like secondary citizens. It is all it is all askew. It's a mess. It is totally bunk, right? And that's why I don't believe in critical race theory. That's one of the reasons. But we're going to talk about it a little bit. Now, Mike Pompeo came out talking about critical race theory and the 1619 project very appropriate. We were actually just talking about this on Mr. C in the Dark a few nights ago uh, in regards to the 1619 Project and Critical Race Theory. And um, basically, as Pompeo says, it is an attempt to divide the country. Now, the people who believe in this critical race theory, uh, the people who believe that whites are inherently racist, right? They talk about systemic racism. Well, let me tell you what. If critical race theory were to be accepted into our schools, into our institutions, and into our universities, racism would be definitely institutionalized. It would definitely be systemic. And that is something that the 1619 Project is trying to do. Okay, we'll talk about the 1619 Project in just a bit, a little bit more. But in regards to what Mike Pompeo had to say, uh, Mike Pompeo weighed in on this national debate about the teaching of critical race theory um, and the New York Times 1619 Project. Now, just so you guys are aware, the 1619 Project was started by some woman that uh, was first denied to get, you know, um, I, I don't know, to be a, a scholar, a teacher at a university. And then she was, uh, she accepted, then she was accepted, then she declined it. It's Nic Nicole something or other. She's not important enough to name. But, uh, but that was, that was started by the New York Times. The New York Times were the people who pushed the 1619 Project, like, abundantly at first like there that's where that originates now the 1690 project itself and the history behind that is a little bit further back but the new york times put it on the main stage because they wanted to use the 1619 project in order to get the curriculum of critical race theory into our schools right okay so um uh mike pompeo said that uh, the 1619 project and critical race theory um, was an attack on the central understandings of the history 
that is shared by all of the Americans. Now, that's not just because critical race theory makes it to where, you know, whites are inherently racist and, you know, to where um, um, uh, whites are the cause of basically everything that's evil. The 1619 Project, just, they, their main mission was to rewrite the history of the United States of America. Their main mission was to say, America was not founded because they wanted freedom and liberty and they wanted, you know, they wanted to, to, to be sovereign citizens in, of their own life. The 1619 Project existed because they wanted slaves, because slaves in America, they did it because if they had slaves, they could build their own society because America is racist. That was the goal of the 1619 Project. And, you know, this kind of goes back. This kind of goes back to when we were talking about Juneteenth. We were talking about Juneteenth uh, at, uh, we actually we talked about Juneteenth on the Lone Star News Show and also the Mr. C in the Dark Show. And when we were talking about Juneteenth, we were talking about how they wanted Juneteenth, that's June 19th, to substitute the July 4th Independence Day holiday that we have known for 245 years in this country, these United States of America. Okay, and so this whole 1619 project, which would be fueled by the fires of the CRT critical thinking, I mean, critical race theory theory, right, that would replace the 4th of July, that would replace the independence of America, and it would put it into the chains, and that's a pun intended, ladies and gentlemen, that would put it into the chains of the 1619 project and the slaves that they think the people of America came here just to have. We came here to own slaves in America, I call BS, because that's exactly not what it's about, but that's exactly what they want your children to believe. That's exactly what they want the youth of America and the millennials to believe that this country was founded on. And that's why we have idiots like the adrenochrome sucking uh, Vanessa Williams singing uh, whatever national anthem she sang instead of, you know, the Star Spangled Banner, whatever you have. She was doing that for that reason, okay? This this, this soul-sucking, adrenochrome-sucking, child-eating witch, Vanessa Williams, okay? So anyways, I apologize, folks. I'm getting fired up. Uh, Mike Pompeo said, it's called Critical Race Theory or the 1619 Project, but at the end, they're attacking the central understandings that we have shared together for 245 years and attempt to divide the country with it. The critical race theory is rooted in Marxist theory of class struggle, but with a particular focus on race. Proponents of critical race theory see racism in every aspect of American public and private life and seek to dismantle American institutions, such as the Constitution and our legal system. We are a republic, after all, ladies and gentlemen. We are a democratic republic. Some people tend to forget the Republic part. They say we're a democracy. Oh, no, we're not. Okay. Um, anyways, so, um, well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, Mike Pompeo could say it better than I could. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, I have an interview here with Mr. Pompeo. Let me go ahead and pull that up for you guys so we can take a listen. It's a short interview. It's about maybe 10 minutes long. Uh, he's on the Cats Roundtable. Let me go ahead and pull this down. Hey, I did not say that you could go up there. There we go. Hey, 
We're not done with Mike Pompeo yet. Thank you very much. Where are you at, Mike? There you are, Mike. Okay, let's fix that. And let's get this going. All right, we have an interview with Mike Pompeo. He's on the Cats round table. 1612. Okay, we're almost there. And thanks for hanging out on the Sea Report this evening. I hope you guys are having a good time there in the chat. I'll be taking a look in the chat in a minute to see what you guys are up to. <laughs> Let's see what's up real quick. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and hear uh, what Mike Pompeo had to say about critical race theory and the likes over on, uh, what did I say it was again? The Cats Roundtable. That is over at uh, 77WABC. Yeah. And thank you so much, John, for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Um, you're doing God's work. Yeah. And thank you so much, John, for this opportunity. It's, uh, it's uh, Twitter, and uh, we'll be tweeting the interview out to Good morning, America. This is Cats on Table Podcast. It's Sunday morning. Well, it's 4th of July. And what does it mean to a lot of our Americans around the world? Well, we have with us one great American this morning. We have Mike Pompeo, the graduate of West Point, CIA director, former, and former Secretary of State. He knows our country, loves our country. Good morning, Mike Pompeo. How are you this morning? John, I am great. It is great to be with you on the 4th of July. Uh, great to everybody who's listening to us today. Happy 4th of July to everyone, this special Independence Day where we celebrate this amazing country. You wake up this morning on a Sunday morning. It's the 4th of July. You're a West Point graduate. You love America. Give us your feelings of how you're feeling uh, on the 4th of July. You know, I, I had this incredible privilege these last four years, and I've had now a few months to reflect on. I had this privilege to travel around the world, uh, representing the United States, trying to keep every American safe, trying to keep the, our Constitution intact and defend those values that we have here in America. Because I think back on those four years, I recall so many times where people from all over across the world, our friends, frankly, our adversaries, too, they all envied the United States. They knew they knew we were such a special country, so exceptional in so many ways. And they wanted to emulate us or, or frankly, sometimes take us down a notch. And they all appreciated that this was a place where we respected every human being uh, that we treated people fairly and equally, that our government mostly tried to stay out of our way so we could live our lives. And that harkens back to when I was a young cadet, now, goodness gracious, uh, multiple decades ago, uh, when I first started my time there, where uh, I came to understand, uh, I had read the Federalist Papers and uh, read the history of the United States. What a what a great place, that this asset we've been given because we are just privileged to be Americans. And I think about that today on this 4th of July, how special that is and how we should just never take it for granted. It's the 245th year since 1776. What are your concerns for the future? There's so many things happening. Uh, I feel sometimes like America is under attack. 
Um, and uh, give us your, your fears and what Americans should do in the future. Well, this is a pretty resilient nation. When we turn on the TV and watch news, you can see lots of negative things, and I, I, I get all of that. I, I'm worried about some of the things that are being taught in our schools. If if we if we teach that somehow this the founding of the United States of America was somehow flawed, it was corrupt, it was racist. That's really dangerous. It takes it strikes at the very moorings, the very foundations of our country. And so I certainly worry about that. It's called critical race theory sometimes, or 1619 project. But at the end, they're attacking the central understanding that we have shared together for 245 years and attempt to divide the country. If that, if that continues, if that is allowed to flourish and prosper, then we could, in fact, lose this thing that is so special. We, we can't let that happen. I have been out around the country these last days uh, talking to people. I don't think anybody's about to let that happen. And so I, I'm, I'm an optimist, but I do worry that if we become fractured or we lose faith in our constitutional principles, that some, somewhere, somehow, or some adversary like the Chinese Communist Party will come undermine what's made our country so special. Now, you were CIA director, uh, besides being Secretary of State. Do you believe uh, there's outside forces at work to undermine our democracy? Yeah, that's a really important question. It's very clear that there are multiple nations that are doing lots of different things to try and undermine our democracy, whether it's uh, the Russians and the meddling that they did in our election, or whether it's the Chinese Communist Party's massive propaganda campaign here at home. You'll recall, John, that it was so bad at one place, uh, the consulate, the Chinese consulate in Houston, Texas, the spying was so bad that we had to order that all of those diplomats, really spies, go home and close their consulate. Uh, so there are those. They, they want to, look, they, they don't like the fact that their people want to come live here, that their students want to come study here. Uh, and they don't like the fact that we are, we are able to uh, put our democratic principles first and always. And so they are They're actively engaged here in the United States, trying to undermine our very way of life. With good leadership, that won't happen. And that's what we're going to have to make sure that we have. China. It looks like Hong Kong is just about gone. Uh, should we worry about uh, Taiwan more? Sadly, I, I agree. Uh, we made lots of efforts to help the people of Hong Kong. It, sadly, didn't prove to be enough, and Hong Kong now is just, just frankly, another communist city, much like the mainland. They had all that freedom, all that prosperity, all, all the good things that were going on in Hong Kong look, look to be uh, just about over. The Chinese Communist Party is intent on doing the same kind of thing to Taiwan, to deny them their capacity to be a democratic country that has uh, the capacity to actually deliver really good outcomes for their people. I, I think Xi Jinping, the leader of the CCP, has made clear his intention. He calls it reunification. Of course, it's no such thing. It was never part of China. But he wants to bring them inside the communist, Marxist, Leninist views that he has for China and for his party. We can do a lot to deter that. We must. On our previous conversation a few weeks ago, you were very much concerned about our universities. And they're not giving equal time to all sides like universities are supposed to do. What should American people do that? Should they pick up the phone or write letters? Or what, what, would they, what would you suggest? <laughs> uh, I am worried about our uh, institutions of higher education. They have, they have been moved to the left. They have lost what I was just talking about, this understanding of America and its traditions in important ways. 
we, we can all do so much. You mentioned, right, calling, reaching out, writing letters. That's certainly important. But we can also make choices about where our kids go to school and make sure that our kids are receiving an education that is broad. I, I'm happy if uh, the students take courses in philosophy and they learn about the history of socialism and the history of communism. I think when they learn that, they'll see that those have failed every time they've been tried all around the world. What can't happen is those ideas can't be foisted on them as the direction that our country should go. They should be taught a broad, uh, a broad array of, of history and then can form good judgments on their own and have critical thinking on their own. And there's so many things that we each can do. Uh, we have to be focused. And I wouldn't just say higher ed, John, our high schools, our, our middle schools, our elementary schools, the risk is there as well. Parents have to take firm control of their children's education, make sure that they're being taught the things that have made this country so special. Mike Pompeo, I fully agree. Mike Pompeo, former West Pointer, uh, CIA director, former Secretary of State, one great American. Thank you for everything you've done for America. Bless you. Happy Fourth of July, John. Happy so Fourth of July. Thank you. And we're all proud to be Americans. Well. Indeed we are, Mr. Katz uh, Roundtable. Indeed we are proud to be Americans. So there you go. Uh, Mike Pompeo decided to take a moment to talk about uh, his concerns in regards to where our education system was going. Now, you know, he took a very hard stand against China. And, uh, and to me, it seems to, make a, uh, it seems to make a reasonable jump that he would also be talking about critical race theory in our schools because after all, are not Marxism, Leninism, and communism pretty much in the same uh, closet with each other? I would say so. I would definitely say so. And so in this regard, we're talking about, again, critical race theory as being proliferated by the 1619 Project, because 1619 Project was really where it was. I mean, we had these discussions already happening they can trace critical race theory going back into our schools as early as 1994, okay, uh, where people were really starting to talk about this and trying to bring it into an educational type of environment. But now in regards to critical race theory, period, we have, uh, of course, Pedo Joe, Ill illegitimate Joe, the president-select Biden, really trying to push critical race theory and the 1619 Project in our schools now, an article from uh, the Epoch Times that dated back to April 21st of 2021, they talked about how the Biden administration was seeking to prioritize funding in educational programs that would incorporate ideas from the 1619 Project and of critical race theory. Um, he had proposed a rule that was released on April 19th that the education department would outline new priority criteria for 53 million dollars to teach American history and civics education by way of grant um, in materials for kindergarten through 12th grade. And people would argue, and so would I, that concepts like critical race theory should not be taught at any education level, perhaps other than a specialized class in an institution such as a university or college. Right, because that's where you're supposed to be able to get into debates. You're supposed to have, like Mr. Pompeo had said, uh, where you have an even spectrum of different types of topics 
whether that is ideas like critical race theory and studying that, or it is, you know, other things that uh, counter that idea, which would basically just be everyday life, right? And at least in my opinion, but uh, but to be teaching that stuff in K through 12 is really where you're talking about indoctrinating kids and children uh, to believe certain things in a certain way. It's kind of like how they're indoctrinating kids, uh, you know, and grooming them to be uh, homosexual or or to be able to accept being touched and doing sexual things. It's indoctrination. Kids are too young to be learning these types of things. You know, we're trying to teach them how to get along with one another, but in the schools, they're trying to teach them how they're different and should look at other people differently, basically divide, and then the fight ensues. And that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. When we start talking about things like Marxism and stuff, that's basically the root of all of this. It's all about dividing up the people so that those at the top have better control of their subjects, right? Anyways, so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the 1619 Project, and then we'll get into how critical race theory truly links itself to Marxism and other forms of communism. Now, from the, uh, from the website for the 1619 Project... Uh, the 1619 Project website, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to bring up the website here, uh, but I believe it was like 1619project.org or something like that. Um, it said in regards to the 1619 Project. Now, don't forget, 1619 is supposed to be for the progressives, the left, the liberals, all of those communist Marxist people. 1619 is supposed to be the real year uh, for the founding of America. America was founded when the first black slave landed in Virginia in the year 1619, not when we decided to declare our independence from the crown and the globalist money changers, the bankers that were actually in control of the crown. Because I will always stand by the fact that we were declaring our independence from the bankers who are controlling the crown, not the crown itself. They are just kind of like, you know, the front man for the bankers, right, that uh, they put in our history books. But it's all the same. 1776 is when that was declared, whether it was the crown or the bankers, according to your purview. But these people say it's 1619. 1619 was America was founded. Racist America was founded in 1619. And it wasn't even the fault of Americans, if you actually study this. Um, we had uh, we had uh, we had ships that were going out of like Virginia and the other colonies that were pirating the uh, that were pirating the Spanish and the Portuguese ships, right? And when we did that, when we pirated a Portuguese ship in order to get gold and silver, there were black people, black slaves on that boat. They brought them back to America. And so by default, America decided to become a slave owner, even though there is argument to this day among historians as to whether those black people who are on those Portuguese boats that landed in American colony ports, there's debate whether or not they were treated as slaves or indentured servants. They don't know. They don't know if they were slaves or indentured servants, but this is the founding of racist America, according to the 1619 Project. Now, from the 1619 Project website, they describe it this way. Since 1994, 
Some members of present-day Project 1619 Incorporated have been telling the story of our ancestors and their fight for freedom and social justice. Because certainly back in 1619, everybody knew what social justice was, right? Okay, it says, it was on August 25th, 1619, that a ship landed at Cape uh, at Point Comfort, which is present-day Fort Monroe in Hampton, Virginia, with the first enslaved Africans brought to English North America. Their landing would be, gate, be the gateway to 246 years of bondage, 100 years of Jim Crow segregation, denial of civil rights, unfair housing, redlining, lack of equal education, unfair unemployment practices, police profiling, and unfair incarceration policies. No thanks to Bill Clinton, right? Okay, it also says, the list goes on and on. From 1619, our ancestors and for the past 401 years, black and brown people have suffered the indignity of racial injustice because of the color of their skin. We have gone from whippings, torture, mutilation, castration, hanging, beatings, water hosed, and bitten by dogs, all legal. Now, in addition to racial profiling, we have a knee on our necks. When will it end, it says. When will it all end? Okay. Uh, the murder of George Floyd had been a wake-up call to America and the world that black lives matter. Silence is complicity. We encourage you to step up, speak up, stand up, and kneel for social and racial justice in America. That, my friends, is from the 1619 Project website. It's so convoluted. Okay, so... Um, the 1619 Project, as I said, was inaugurated with a special issue from the New York Times Magazine that challenges to reframe the United States history by marking the year when the first enslaved Africans arrived on Virginia. Not that it was our fault. Don't forget that, New York Times. It wasn't our fault. It's not like America went over to Africa and bought slaves from, uh, you know, the other tribesmen that were selling them. Not our fault, okay? But still, America is racist, right? Um, and it says here also uh, that they're, oh, they have, oh, we have reading guidelines. Okay, let's check out. Okay, you guys want to talk about some of the curriculum. I will show you a website in regards to the 1619 Project. Oh, look at, there's a 1619 Project's fake history. <laughs> okay, so here's a website. This is from the Pulitzer Center. The Pulitzer Center, okay? The 1619 Project, inaugurated with a special issue of the New York Times Magazine, challenges to reframe United States history by marking the year when first enslaved Africans arrived on Virginia soil as our nation's foundational date. In other words, it wasn't 1776. It's when the slaves arrived because we pirated Portuguese boats. That's when it comes. Here you will find reading guides, activities, and other resources to bring the 1619 Project into your classroom. Okay, so the Pulitzer Center is trying to tell us when and how we're going to teach the 1619 Project curriculum. 
So there's this whole outline here, listening guide uh, to listening guide for the 1619 project, curriculum materials for the 1619 project law school initiative. So they weren't just going into schools like K through 12 and colleges and universities. Even here, they had a 1619 project law school initiative. Okay, for college grades and higher. Let's look at this. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time, but I just want you guys to see how thorough and in-depth these people are trying to go to teach this garbage. Excuse me. That was rude. Okay. Law school initiative, law school initiative, uh, wealthy labor and mobility, lesson plans. They have lesson plans. This is for law school. So they're really going head on with this mass incarceration, public health, arts and culture, all teaching you how whites and Americans are um, are racist because they believe in uh, uh, freedom of speech and equality. <laughs> I guess like this is insane stuff here, ladies and gentlemen. This is pretty crazy stuff. Uh, let's see here. And it, we're not done yet either. Let's go back. Uh, let's see. Curricular materials for the, eight, well, I don't even know what the 1857 project is. I didn't even look into that. A reading guide, quotes, terms and quotations, questions, index and flashcards for terms and historical events, lesson plans, exploring the idea of America by, oh, that's her name, Nicole Hannah Jones. That's the woman who made all this crap up. There she is with her red hair. I guess she's ashamed of her heritage. She's going ginger, right? Yeah. The, what a way to be a hypocrite. Okay, let's see. Activities to extend student engagement, exploring the legacy of slavery and mass incarceration, evaluating and reshaping timelines. See, reshaping timelines for the 1619 Project, New York Times for Kids edition. They're trying to get the children to believe this because the younger the people are that learn this stuff and they're indoctrinated with this crap, the more division, hatred, crime, killing, murder, racism will happen as they grow older. And there you go. There goes your country. Your country goes down the drain because of this type of this systemic indoctrination is exactly what that is. That, my friends, is systemic indoctrination that they are trying to teach. And this is what the communists did. This is what the Marxists did to bring down the countries that they were attacking in their time. Russia being one of the main, Russia and China actually being two of the main victims of this type of mentality, this type of learning, teaching, and this kind of structure. Like they use this stuff in Russia and China to bring down those countries, aside from the violence, aside from everything else that they were doing, aside from the economic uh, blows that they were taking to those countries in the name of Marxism, Leninism, and communism. This is the kind of thing that they are dealing with. Now, the New York Times actually defends the 1619 Project. They defend this crap. They say the New York Times defended this Pulitzer Prize winning 1619 Project and its creator, that uh, ginger, that black turned ginger, Nicole Hannah Jones, as multiple Republicans led states uh, seek to ban the historical project, the historical project, right? Now, it's one thing if this were a historical project and we were trying to say, hey, look, the first black person came here in 1619 on a pirated boat from Portuguese to Cope, hum, com, um, Hope, was it Cape Hope Comfort, sorry, over in Virginia. That's one thing. But then to say, oh, your whole country's based on racism because they happened to pirate a boat from Portugal and they brought over slaves. And we don't even know if they were indentured servants or not, because guess what, people? 
a lot of white people came over from the United Kingdom, from England, from Europe as indentured servants until they could live on their own. So I don't get this. This is common sense. You know, this just makes no sense. This is why I don't talk about this crap on here. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Because it's stupid. All right. So, okay. The New York Times defends it. So this is what the New York Times had to say. The New York Times said, like our colleagues across the industry, we are troubled by these bills and by the deeply of uh, the deeply vitriolic attacks that Nicole has faced because of her role in the 19 the 1619 project. The free exchange of ideas is crucial to expanding public understanding and um, and is core to our role as independent news organizations. We stand behind the 1619 Project and Nicole's work, for which she won the Pulitzer Prize last year and oppose any attempt to restrict access to our journalism or that of any other news organization. So... The New York Times is complicit, if not guilty, of really starting to spread this type of uh, in, uh, indoctrination within our schools. They totally back the 1619 Project, you know, but uh, it's root classism, you know, casteism, the division, the, uh, the entire, uh, what, 99% versus the 1% type of idea, the us versus them. That all roots, my friends, in Marxism and communism, Leninism, those isms. I believe the isms were created by the globalists to separate and divide us anyways, right? Even capitalism, right? Because they need a way to divide us. They used those types of uh, economic socio-isms to divide us further, right? Okay, so in regards to this critical race theory, even though um, it is seen as racial oppression, I mean, it is seen as racial oppression everywhere in society and considers those who disagree with it to be proponents or to be alleged oppositions, oppressors. So if you don't agree with critical race theory, you are racist. If you don't agree with critical race theory, then you are an oppressor. So I guess I'm a racist oppressor. I hang out here on the Sea Report as a racist oppressor, apparently, because I don't believe in this classist BS called critical race theory that is basically stripping everybody, everyone of a, of a, that's not white. It's, it's stripping everyone who's not white of the ability to stand up for themselves and to say, hey, I can stand on my own. I can do my own thing. I don't, I'm not being oppressed. And it also places everyone who's not of a colored skin origin, like a white person, as an oppressor and as an enemy and as a racist. This is more damaging to our psyches and our and our society than anything else that I can think of in recent history, because it strikes out at all levels from cradle to the grave, teaching this BS that humans cannot live equally. Did we have a point in our history and in the world's history where this type of activity happened? Yes. Does this type of activity, and I'm talking about slavery, not racism, happen today? Yes. We are all debt slaves, for example. But uh, the people behind the 1619 Project don't seem to care about that. They don't seem to care about the fact that we can't keep the money that we work so hard for and that we're debt slaves to these globalist central bankers and, uh, you know, these other individuals who are out there basically 
charging us to make a living and live. That's why through their through their through their uh, climate agreements and all that crap, they'd be charging us to breathe. This is insanity, ladies and gentlemen. So let's talk a little bit more about critical race theory and its connections to Marxism. As Mike Pompeo said, critical race theory is rooted in Marxist theory of class struggle, but with a particular focus on race. So you know, uh, you know, Marx, uh, Karl Marx had uh, the poor man versus the wealthy man, class struggle, right? You're either with the rich men or you're with the poor men. And there's no coming together. We're going to fight, 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 right? Because they are oppressing us. We'll take that idea and apply it to race. And that's where we get the 1619 Project and critical race theory. Those are the same ideas that we're getting out of this, this once what? This Marxism has never left us. You have those idiots out there that have, you know, the hammer and the sickle tattooed on their chests. And they believe that communism is a great thing. Yet they've never lived in a communist country. They've never even lived in a socialist country and they think socialism is great. It's ridiculous. These people don't know nothing, okay? They don't even know nothing to study about it. Pompeo went on to say, proponents of critical race theory see racism in every aspect of the American public and private life and seek to dismantle American institutions like the Constitution and our legal system, defund the police, which they deem inherently and irredeemably racist. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to watch a little video about critical race theory. And uh, actually, I got two videos with me here tonight. They're not too long, but we're going to go ahead and get into them real quick so you guys can see. It explains it better than I can anyway. So uh, let's let's take a look. become about race nowadays. This one variable has been elevated to seem as if it is the be-all end-all of your success. If you are a person of color, you must be a victim. If you are a white person, you must be an oppressor. This hasty overgeneralization of race is actually driving the growing divide between the races. It is not bringing us together. Recently, a field of study called critical race theory has become more and more mainstream. If we define critical race theory, here's what we get. The view that the law and legal institutions are inherently racist and that race itself, instead of being biologically grounded and natural, is a socially constructed concept that is used by white people to further their economic and political interests at the expense of people of color. In today's video, I'll be talking about how the political left wing is attempting to solve an extremely complex problem by narrowing the explanation for that problem down to just one variable. And that one variable is race. And I'm also going to talk about how if this way of thinking is taken too far, it can be absolutely toxic and produce the exact opposite outcome of what they are seeking. Before I begin, it does take me time to make these videos and to edit them, and I don't get paid to make them. So if you enjoy the video, make sure to hit the like button as well. Subscribe for more content just like this. It does uh, show support. And also hit the bell icon to be notified when the next video does drop. Uh, if you feel like what I'm sharing, it's important and it needs to be heard, then consider sharing this video with a friend or family member. It does help. Uh, let's jump into it.
from Britannica. According to critical race theory, racial inequality emerges from the social, economic, and legal differences that white people create between races to maintain elite white interests in labor markets and politics, giving rise to poverty and criminality in many minority communities. This sounds like a conspiracy theory that white people as a whole are working to systematically peep everyone else down and suppress them. And, you know, that's not even the worst of it. If we take a look at some of the more ridiculous claims of the critical race theorists, it might just break your brain. Here are seven things that critical race theory believes. Number one, science, reason, and evidence are a white way of knowing, and that storytelling and lived experience is a black alternative, which hurts everyone, especially black people. Number two, racism is present in every aspect of life every relationship and every interaction and therefore has its advocates look for it everywhere. Number three, it relies upon interest convergence, meaning white people only give black people opportunities and freedoms when it is also in their own interests and therefore doesn't trust any attempt to make racism better. Number four, is against free societies and wants to dismantle them and replace them with something its advocates control. This one sounds like a ripe excuse to become more authoritarian and communist. Number five, it only treats race issues as socially constructed groups. So there are no individuals in critical race theory. And by the way, this is a huge flaw in the theory because categorizing someone specifically by race does not tell you everything you need to know about a person. In fact, it doesn't tell you nearly as much as you think because a person's individuality is a lot more complex than just their race. Number six, it rejects all potential alternatives like colorblindness as forms of racism, making itself the only allowable game in town which is totalitarian. And number seven, it acts like anyone who disagrees with it must do so for racist and white supremacist reasons, even if those people are black, which again is totalitarian. That's a whole lot of stupidity bundled together. We have to start seeing people as individuals. The solution I personally like the most is colorblindness. You know, when I was growing up, Race was never really a consideration. You either had merit or you didn't. And it's it's what kind of like what Martin Luther King was saying, right? Content of your character, not the color of your skin. That's what you should be basing your assessment of someone off of. But now we're going in the reverse direction. And if you want more info on the concept of colorblindness explained, I'll leave a link to an interview done by Jordan Peterson and Coleman Hughes. And uh, I'll leave it in the description box below. In a future video, Video, I'll be going over how critical race theory fits in with the concept of Marxism and the dangers that lie ahead for society if this toxic ideology goes too far. I'll yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are also going to check that video out next. So I, I just liked this video. I was looking far and wide to find uh, something that kind of summed up a description of what people who are proponents of critical race theory believe. And uh, that fit the bill. And now we're gonna take a look at uh, this uh, same individual, his name's Parth Damalia, uh, what he had to say in regards to the connections between 
uh, Marxism, communism, and critical race theory. So let's take a look at that as well. So now it's about six minutes or so. Marx theorized that society was unfairly structured and that there was a class divide that was clear and distinct. This was the proletariat, or the working class, and the bourgeoisie, or the capitalist class. It was a critique of the economic system of capitalism and speculated that the reason the working class had it so hard was because of the capitalist class who owned the means of production in said economic system. So the inevitable outcome was that the working class had to take the means of production by force or else they would never be free from the reign of the capitalist class. Needless to say that anyone who studied economics in depth knows that this is an oversimplification. It's a low resolution picture of what reality actually is and it sells because it plays to people's emotions and it can be easily politicized. The problem is that the idea was propagandized and used to put Marxism into practice through communism and socialism. It was politicized and created an us versus them dynamic. It was the working class versus the rich capitalist class. Little did they know that when they actually gave the government enough power to deal with this class divide, production of basic material items like food collapsed, leading to the starvation and death of millions of people. It wasn't only that. It created an animosity, a hatred that was sown between people, and government became so authoritarian that people's freedoms were basically gone. You would feel that even if you didn't believe the propaganda, you would have to get on board or else society would shun you and do even worse than that. Now, when you apply this to critical race theory, which posits that white people are systematically keeping people of color down through legal, economic, and social means, you get a similar us versus them dynamic. It's people of color versus white people. And as this ideology grows and becomes more and more politicized, more and more propagandized, you get exactly what they were claiming, a divide between people of color and white people. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at some point. And last, this ideology, which is not grounded in reality and oversimplifies a very complex life, is perpetuated by groupthink mentality. Social media almost makes you want to believe that this is all true because, hey, everyone else is posting it in nice infographics on their Instagram story. So it must be true, right? No, it's not. And if this is you, I suggest you dig a little deeper and do more research. If we look at a book titled The Laws of Human Nature, there is one law of human nature that explains how easy it is to fall into groupthink mentality. It's interesting, the chapter that discusses this actually goes over a story to basically explain the point. And it's a story from communist China and the Cultural Revolution, which was a Marxist type movement. And it really illustrates how insidious groupthink can be. Law 14, resist the downward pull of the group, the law of conformity. We have a side to our character that we are generally unaware of, our social personality the different person we become when we operate in groups of people. In the group setting, we unconsciously imitate what others are saying and doing. We think differently, more concerned with fitting in and believing what others believe. We feel different emotions infected by the group mood. We are more prone to taking risks, to acting irrationally, 
because everyone else is. This social personality can come to dominate who we are. Listening so much to others and conforming our behavior to them, we slowly lose a sense of our uniqueness and the ability to think for ourselves. The only solution is to develop self-awareness and a superior understanding of the changes that occur in us in groups. An analysis of the story in the chapter shows us similarities between the cultural revolution in communist China and Western society today in the movement of the political left wing. Mao had the following specific strategy to enact his bold idea. Focus people's attention on a legitimate enemy. In this case, revisionists, those who consciously or unconsciously were clinging to the past. Encourage people, particularly the young, to actively fight against this reactionary force, but also against any entrenched forms of authority. In struggling against these conservative enemies, the Chinese would be able to free themselves from old patterns of thinking and acting. They would finally get rid of elites and ranking systems, and they would unify as a revolutionary class with utmost clarity as to what they were fighting for. His strategy, however, had a fatal flaw at its core. When people operate in groups, they do not engage in nuanced thinking and deep analysis. Only individuals with a degree of calmness and detachment can do so. People in groups feel emotional and excited. Their primary desire is to fit into the group's spirit. Their thinking tends to be simplistic, good versus evil, with us or against us. This is the us versus them dynamic that I was talking about earlier. They naturally look for some type of authority to simplify matters for them. Deliberately creating chaos, as Mao did, only makes the group more certain to fall into these primitive patterns of thinking, since it is too frightening for humans to live with too much confusion and uncertainty. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed the video, make sure to give it a thumbs up. And yeah, all right. So there you go. A little bit about the connection between critical race theory and Marxism. Basically, its roots and where it comes from and where it's going. Uh, looks like it's going to a scary place if they try and uphold this because I'm sure some of you guys have seen out there that we actually do have some people, some teachers, who are deciding to take it upon themselves to be activists and continue to teach critical race theory in their classes like it's some, they're like, we can't lie to our children. We have to teach them critical race theory. And uh, it's sick, you know, it's sick. It's the kind of thing, you know, it's the critical race. It's for those teachers who wanted to be university professors, but couldn't quite make it there. So then they're kind of like, we're going to teach them to our kindergartners. <laughs> so we can feel important. And like, we're actually engaging in social, I don't know, social change through education uh, even though we're supposed to be teaching them their colors and their one, two, threes and how to form sentences, we want to teach them first about how to masturbate and uh, and and why that uh, the white people have oppressed them and they should know because that's what these freaking kindergarten teachers are teaching people these days. Like, what the heck is up with that? Why are these why are these people so sick that teach you know children these days? I don't understand it. I don't understand it one lick of a bit at all, and it is driving me crazy, y'all. All right, that's why I don't talk about critical race theory, okay? <laughs> all right, that, that covers it for critical race theories. I got a couple of stories for you guys. 
before we finish off the night here at the Sea Report. We're almost there, ladies and gentlemen. I did want to say uh, thank you to Blonde Blue Lady Q, uh, Better Lately, and also to uh, Just V for gifting shades. All of you cool cats throwing shades this way. Um, as uh, as uh, I think it was uh, just uh, well, I think it was uh, Better Lately. I said it's okay to wear shades at day or at night. So thank you for that, my friend. I do appreciate it. Um, and then also, oh hey, thank you again. Um, wait, who's that? A Barbobot. <laughs> you are a cool cat also, my friend. Thank you for gifting those shades as well. All right, so let's go ahead. A couple of more stories, and we're wrapping up the Sea Report for today. Uh, in case you didn't notice, we have the uh, flag of Georgia here. Wait, you know, uh, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. There are things that are going on in Georgia that we should probably take note of. Otherwise, we're probably just, I don't know, not paying attention. Okay, so all right. So uh, something that once. Uh, okay, so you guys all have heard about um, the uh, Liz Garcia. Oh, hey, Liz Garcia, how you doing, sweetie? Thank you for the cookie. Um, we have all heard about how uh, you know AG um, uh, Merrick Garland is suing the state of Georgia. We all know now that the Supreme Court has basically stripped any precedence from this lawsuit from A.G. Merrick Garland against Georgia in regards to election integrity reform laws, right? Or laws that should have been there to begin with, if you ask me. So um, um, one of those laws is now taking effect in the state of Georgia. And that would be, uh, that would be the law that uh, has to do with absentee voters, Absentee voters. All right. So um, the bill that was passed in Georgia, uh, the bill contained 51 provisions that were signed into law by, you know, this this Brian Kemp guy, whoever he is. Right. Um, and uh, of course, they've been criticized. Right. Of course, they've been criticized. Um, but in this bill, in regards to absentee balance. Um, absentee ballots. Uh, most of the sections of the bill became law Thursday and make changes to the state's absentee ballot process. So this is now in effect in the state of Georgia. All right. It says uh, the now it is now law for absentee voters to write their driver's license number, state ID card number, voter registration number, or the last four digits of their social security number with their birth date on the ballots. Ha! So there is an extra measure against fraud here, because obviously if uh, someone's going to try and run off a bunch of Xeroxed absentee ballots, they need all of the correct information unless, you know, they're still running a corrupt business over there on election night and they decide to ignore it. Um, another part of this provision, um, it shortens the deadline for absentee ballots, requests and submissions and require voters to submit a photocopy of an approved form of identification with the application in the absence of a driver's license or state ID number. Heh. So yeah, now if you don't got the number, you got to send a photo. They also ban sending unsolicited absentee ballot applications, which is great. So this way, uh, someone up there in Georgia can't decide to mail out all of these unsolicited ballots to the entire roster of voters on their registration rolls, right? Because, uh, you know, nothing fishy ever happened when people did that, right? Uh, registrars and absentee ballot clerks 
now must mail or issue official absentee ballots to all eligible applicants between 29 days and 25 days before a non-municipal election. The provision also specifies when election officials should release or report election results. So yeah, these are some of the measures that are now taking effect in the state of Georgia. In case you didn't know, well, I hope you're listening to the C-Report because you might not have known otherwise. JK, folks, JK. Um, of course, there's opposition to this law. Of course, obviously, we had A.G. Merrick over there in Biden's Justice Department filing a lawsuit against the state of Georgia. We know that's not going to go anywhere, but he was like, uh, critical race theory says that this law that this Kemp guy passed is racist. Well, maybe, maybe A.G. Garland is racist and he thinks very little about black people and minorities. And that's why he seems to think that we can't handle these types of regulations. That's what I'm willing to bet. Uh, Democrats have also said that uh, this could make county election offices susceptible to litigation. In other words, with these laws being passed, they're afraid that you're going to sue them. Okay, for what? For uh, committing fraud on uh, an election? Or uh, because you're afraid that someone out there is going to say, I don't know how to go to the DMV and get a driver's license or ID. It's the year 2021. And I can't know. I don't even know how to use Google. I don't know how to use any type of uh, um, uh, I don't know, phone book. I don't know how to figure out the address. I can't read a street sign. I don't even know how to spell DMV because I'm a minority. Is that what you're afraid of? Democrats, they're going to sue you? That some, some minority is going to say they can't do any of what I just listed and that that is racist against them? It makes no sense. We're in the year 2021. What kind of bubble are these people living in, I ask you? Anyways, the department took issue with the pro, uh, the portions of the bill that ban government entities from sending unsolicited absentee ballots applications. Of course, they're going to take issue with that. They want to have the right to just mail ballots thousands upon thousands at will to anybody, anywhere, at any time, right? They also oppose the shortening of deadlines for absentee ballots and out of precinct provisional ballots. They are going to, Democrats are going to oppose, the Dems are, the opposers are going to oppose. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that is now effective in the state of Georgia. And uh, we'll see where A.G. Merrick Garland's lawsuit goes. I have a feeling it's not going to go far, but that's just my feeling. Oh, who's that? Wrong one. Where am I at? Oh. Oh, looks like I don't got, <laughs> looks like I don't got an image for my last story. I'm sorry, guys. All right. Well, this one is a this one is about uh, the Louisiana State Legislature. Okay, so the Louisiana State Legislature is going into its first ever veto session. Now, some of y'all might know about how uh, the legislative session ends, right? They end at a certain date, and uh, you know, if you don't get certain bills in there that you are wanting to pass into law, if they just don't quite make the deadline they become non-existent, right? And when that happens, it's up to your governor to call for a special session or two. 
We'll be having two special sessions in the state of Texas because of bills and laws that did not happen or did, were not passed in time that still need to be considered. So that's kind of the way that works. But not in the case of Louisiana. No, sirree, Bob. Right now, what we have going on in Louisiana is something called a veto session. And uh, even though it is something that can happen in theory, it's never happened before in the history of the state of Louisiana. So why do they have a veto session happening? Well, this is occurring because there were several conservative bills that were recently passed in the House and the Senate, the state legislation in the state of Louisiana. In other words, both senators and congressmen came together and decided, yes, we will pass these bills. And what did the governor of Louisiana do? The governor of Louisiana, whose name is John Bell Edwards, by the way, he vetoed the bills. He vetoed these conservative bills. And you might be wondering what they were, right? Well, I'm going to tell you. But he vetoed these bills. So I would say, state of Louisiana, you might want to be paying attention right now because your governor is clearly a rhino. He's clearly an anti-American, you know, because he is going against what his people want. But then we have to consider what it was that he vetoed. There are two issues that mainly brought this to the table. And now let me tell you, this veto session was brought about by grassroots efforts. In other words, the people of Louisiana went to their representatives and legislators and they told them, oh, no, 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 no. Governor Edwards is not going to get away with this. You're going to call another session. This is not going to be a special session for the bills that you didn't have time to pass. This is going to be a session where you're going to call him to task and you are going to call him to override the vetoes that he did against the people's will. So, you know, because whenever you have a veto by a governor, you know, the legislature can call a special session to do an override vote where they can override the veto of the governor. Right. They can do that. There are rules and regulations for that type of activity to happen within a state house legislature. Well, the people of Louisiana woke up to what this governor was doing, and this is what they were standing for. This is what they were standing for. One of the issues had to do with their right to self-defense. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Governor, uh, what's his name again? Governor John Bell Edwards vetoed a bill that would allow any adult who may illegally own a firearm to place it in her purse or pocket, which is otherwise known as what? Concealed carry. So he, he, vote, he vetoed a concealed carry bill in the state of Louisiana. Okay. So he vetoed it. Like this bill would have given them the right to conceal carry, of course, with government issued permit. But he said, no, people in Louisiana don't have the right to defend themselves by way of concealed carry. Right. Hey, I would have done it, too. There are a couple of veto sessions I think we should have in the state of Texas. So anyhow. Uh, this veto, it upset the grassroots activists and it caused um, uh, it caused them to get a hold of their police, um, police officers, to get a hold of their legislatures and to make sure that they initiated a veto session for this bill so that their state legislature could override the veto. I would ask 
if the Senate and the House passed this to begin with, then why didn't they have an override session to begin with, right? You know, I mean, it kind of makes sense. The people are making them do it, though. The people are making them do it, though, because they didn't do it on their own. Props to them for getting it passed to begin with. Uh, but this dude, this uh, this uh, this man here, this John Bell Edwards of Louisiana, he got to go. He got to go. Anyone who would take away that right got to go. All right. Now, Governor Abbott, I hope you're listening to this one because we have this coming up in special session. This was uh, vetoed by Governor of Louisiana. The second one, it had to do with um, it had to do with uh, um, uh, protecting young girls who engage in organized sports from unfair competition from boys who announce that they are transgender and identify with girls. Yes, it is the age-old transgender in athletics question that is coming up a lot now in these United States of America. And I don't need to explain it. You guys know the story. You guys know, you know, you guys know what the song and dance is in regards to this, where we have a, we have an unfair advantage in sports, according to biology and physiology. And all the people of Louisiana want to do is to protect their young ones, protect the women of Louisiana. And, uh, you know, I, I went off into some tangents about this already, so I'm not going to do it now. But this is also going to be on the veto session. And the people of Louisiana are demanding, they are demanding that their House legislature vetoes, overrides the veto of Governor John Bell Edwards when he decided to say, nah, I'm not going to pay attention to little girls getting harmed in wrestling matches or otherwise. It's all about transgender. No, sir, it is not. It is about protecting their right to compete safely in any of these competitions because of the unfair advantage based on biology that some of us suffer whenever we're going into these types of competitions. And that's basically all that is. Now, it does remain to be seen whether or not these uh, veto overrides will be successful, of course, but the mere fact that a veto session may be held is kind of a victory. Because like I said, it's the first of its kind. You know, they have special sessions, but veto sessions, veto override sessions. Uh, that's saying a lot, ladies and gentlemen. So we need to pay attention. And at least through this story, we kind of see a way out in case we in our own personal states are put into a situation where we might need to call on our legislators to call for a veto override session. We can't let it end with special sessions. Special sessions are also the song and pony dance that some governors will use to prop themselves up in an election season. So let's put them to task. Let's make them hold their money where their mouth is. If they think they're America first, if they think they listen to their constituents, if they think that they follow the will of the people and they don't pass the bills we want in special session, then let's call a veto session, ladies and gentlemen. Let's make our house clean up house and keep the head in order. Let the people be the neck, right? Not the house legislators. Let us be the neck and we will direct the head where to go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a fun time tonight on the C-Report. I, I hope you had as much fun as I did.
I had quite a fun time. Um, okay, now, today I will also be releasing the lotto. <laughs> I promise you guys. Let me see what we got going on here. My computer's frozen, but it's all right. It's all good. You know, I'm going to admit something extremely embarrassing to y'all. Yesterday, I did not release the lotto tickets. And uh, the reason why I didn't is because I said it was not working on my uh, computer. <laughs> I wasn't logged in. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay, at least I'm admitting to my faults. All right. So I apologize. Okay, let me see if I can't get this working real quick so I can release this lotto ticket for you guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so also don't forget for tomorrow, uh, for tomorrow, um, President Trump is supposed to be uh, making a special announcement in regards to our freedom of speech at 10 a.m. in the morning. Uh, I believe that's 10 a.m. Central Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, I will look it up to ensure that I'm correct on that regards. But you might, if this is done live, and I think it will be, you might see a special airing of the C report at 10 a.m. tomorrow. So just be aware of that. Um, I'm going to have to get up extra early, make breakfast extra early, and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. All that good stuff. But uh, just so you guys know, just in case. Ah, what's going on? My pill is not working, but I'm still going to release the lottos. Don't worry, guys. Maybe I should just do it from here. Hold on. Let me get that going for you all. Hope you guys had a fun time tonight. I know I did. You know. All right. Let's see what we got here. Uh, is that make sure I am going to I am going to release the lotto here. There you go. Now, as far as oh, make sure oh, please read oh, just V. I sure will get to your email, Miss Just V. Don't you worry about it. I will be there. Now, because I don't have um, an updated pill, I think the last gold pill I got was from our Barbot, our Barbobot, gifting the shades. So thank you again everyone who donated to the C report by way of, uh, of uh, gold pills today. Hold on. Wait, I want to, I want to play also. Do you hear me scratching my pills? Woohoo! All right. May you all be as fortunate as I am. No, just kidding. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, I had a great time hanging out with you all tonight at the Sea Report. I hope you did too. We will be back tomorrow. Now, don't forget, uh, like I said, we look for us live sometime in the morning if President Trump is giving um, his special announcement about free speech. Otherwise, we will be here at 7.30 p.m. Uh, Central Time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 p.m. Western Time. Was it Pacific Time? Western Time. What the heck, right? Anyways, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. C signing out for the night. You guys have a great evening, and we will see you tomorrow. God bless, and I love you all.